morning, everyone. Welcome to Catalyst. Uh, my name is JR, I'm teaching pastor here. And uh, I wanted to talk today about a song that shares actually a lot in common with our cover. It's one of my all-time favorite songs by none other than the boss, Bruce Springsteen. Uh, it's a song called Thunder Road. And uh, it is, um, again, much like Fast Cars, one of the things I love about uh, a lot of Bruce Springsteen's music is that he is a storyteller, right? So it's, it's a lot of it is less poetry than, than t- telling stories about different people and their experiences. And, you know, famously, a lot of it is like blue-collar kind of, you know, New Jersey, East Coast kind of stuff. Uh, but Thunder Road tells the story, uh, the, the person who is singing the song is a guy who is driving up to the house of a woman named Mary. And as, this, as the song opens, she, you know, comes out of her screen door and kind of twirls uh, along the, the big wraparound porch on the front of her house. And it's clear that he's come to pick her up to take her somewhere else. And it seems like maybe they're not going to come back. Uh, and so as the song, as the song kind of begins to, to move, you get the sense that Mary, the woman who is, is coming out to meet the singer, is a little bit anxious about this uh, because... For her to get in the car and drive away with, with Bruce means leaving behind everything she knows, everything that she calls home, uh, her comfort zone, the people that she knows, maybe some family. And so uh, early in the song, uh, the boss invites her to, uh, he, says, he says, my car's out back if you're ready to take that long walk from your front porch to my front seat. Uh, that line has always struck me because obviously, unless she lives in, I don't know, like a five-star hotel or something like that, the physical distance between her front porch and his front seat is not actually objectively a long walk, right? It, it's maybe a couple of yards. Uh, and yet, uh, it's, it's long because for her to take those steps off of her porch and into the front seat of the car is going to require her to make a choice, right? To leave, to walk away from everything that makes her feel comfortable, that makes her feel safe, and to step out into what we learn as the song goes on is ultimately the unknown. Uh, She doesn't have a lot of promises. They're not sure exactly where they're going to be going. It's just sort of out there somewhere. They're looking for something that's better than where they are. Uh, and, And so with all of those anxieties and those uncertainties, he invites her to take that long walk. Uh, and I've come back to this song again and again at times in my life when I've been at a crossroads, right? When I've been at a big point of transition, when I know that unlike the choice of like, what shirt am I going to wear today? Or on the way to the church building, am I going to go that way or that way? Like choices that we make every day that don't fundamentally impact our lives. Sometimes we come to choices that are irrevocable. We have to choose one thing or another. And once we've made the choice, uh, the other, you know, the other branch of that, of that life path is closed to us. Uh, that's the kind of choice that Mary faces in the song Thunder Road. And I think in a lot of ways, it's, it's the kind of choice that we have just made as a church family uh, to pursue this new model of church that we're moving towards, uh, you know, starting, starting now, this model that we're working on building out and moving into. And so uh, what I want to do today is talk a little bit about how we move forward when the way ahead is unknown. Uh, what, it look like, what it looks like for us as a church family to uh, step faithfully into the unknown 
uh, armed only with the promise that we have from God, uh, without any answers, without any certainty, without even a clear roadmap of where we're going. Uh, it's a scary place to be. I think, uh, you know, some of, us, some of us get really excited by these things. I think a lot of us, uh, even those who are excited, also have some fears and anxieties around what's next. And so I just want to name those today, and I want to look at uh, a, someone in Scripture who faced a similar kind of a choice and is lauded for the choice that he made as a person of great faith. And so I, wanna, I just want to look at all of that today uh, and encourage us, ultimately, uh, that we can step forward into the unknown, into uncertainty, uh, not because we have all of the answers, but because we have a God who is faithful to be present with us and a God who is already ahead of us working and preparing things for us when we step forward, when we, when we also agree, like Mary, to take that long walk uh, from the front porches where we feel safe to the front seat where God is waiting to take, to take us with God into the unknown. So we are going to begin today by singing, singing some songs that celebrate who God is, that celebrate God's faithfulness to us, um, and that help us remember that we can have confidence to step forward, not because of who we are and what we've done, but because of who God is and what God has promised us. So I'm going to hand it over to Nathan and Guhei and invite you to stand with me as we begin worshiping this morning. We're starting a series for this fall called New Leaf, and I know you're thinking, wait, that sounds like a spring series. You're right, but in my defense, two things. One, uh, we don't really have seasons in Texas anymore, and that's where I live, so whatever. Uh, when my mother-in-law was here last week, she kept wondering when the leaves were going to turn, and I was like, I, I think they just die now. I think they just, yeah, they're green, and then they're on the ground, and that's it. Uh, so yeah, so New Leaf, but also uh, this is a series about change and how we change well and how we, how we find uh, faithfulness in the midst of change, and of course our church is on the cusp of a big change. So I thought it would be appropriate for us to look in the scriptures at some people who faced big changes and see what we can learn from how they navigated those changes and what that means for us. And so we're going to begin uh, with Abraham, uh, who uh, at the beginning of his story is actually still called Abram. So if you have a Bible, turn with us to Genesis chapter 12. Uh, that's where we're going to be today. Uh, today's story is really all about how we navigate change when we have a lot more questions than we have answers, uh, which is where we find ourselves. As I was just mentioning during the announcement, uh, we, you know, we have a big picture idea of what the church has voted to move forward to next, but we don't have a lot of details yet. And part of that's by design. Part of that's because we're kind of trying to invent something new uh, that we're not really sure what it's going to look like yet. And so uh, there's all kinds of, I think, anxieties and fears and speculation that comes along with that that are totally reasonable and normal uh, with any kind of a change, but I think especially a big change like this. So uh, we're meeting Abram, who uh, faces a, a similar kind of a change. So this is, uh, Genesis 12 is a big turning point in the Bible, because the first 11 chapters have been sort of prehistory. Um, these are stories like the creation story, and Cain and Abel, and the beginnings of human civilizations, like the guy that invented cities, and the guy that invented uh, metallurgy, and things like that, and then uh, the flood story, and the Tower of Babel, and, and all this kind of stuff. So it's been this, sort of this like 30,000 foot picture of how humans spread across the globe, and, and, uh, and all of that. And then with chapter 12, we go from these big, epic, global stories to zoom all the way in on one family, Abram's family. When, when we meet Abram in Genesis 11, he is actually kind of just like a fairly normal 
uh, ancient Near Eastern person, which I know doesn't mean a lot to a lot of us, right? But his story is not spectacular in any way. He's about 70 years old, and his, he and his wife uh, never had any children. And so they live with his father, uh, Tara, and uh, his brother and his brother's kids. And uh, we learn that they, they are originally from Ur, which is in modern-day Iraq. And they, they've moved to Haran, which is in modern-day Turkey, okay? Uh, we don't know why. It just says one day the, the, the dad decided they were going to move to Haran, and, and so they did, because that's kind of what you did in those days, is whatever the, whatever the patriarch decided. So Abram and his wife Sarah, and then, of course, uh, his brother and his nephews, and all the, they, they all just moved to Haran, which is about 800 miles, which is sort of like if you were going to move from Dallas to, like, Indianapolis or Denver, and, you know, you were doing that with donkeys in your feet. So, pretty big move, right? Uh, they get there, and then they just settle in Haran. Okay? Again, we're not really given a lot of information as to why, but they, they settle there. And it's here that God interacts with Abram. Now, the other thing that's really interesting about Abram is we're told that his whole family worships pagan gods. So again, we're not sure if they were the gods of Ur or if they started worshiping the gods of Haran once they settled there. But what we do know is that they were not worshiping Yahweh, the God, you know, the creator, uh, the one who becomes the God of, of the Bible. So when it comes to this story, I want you to imagine, here's this guy, he's in his 70s, he doesn't have any descendants, so his entire, uh, his entire future is tied to his brother and his brother's descendants. That's the only way he's going to have any sort of like staying power. And again, they've been worshiping whatever gods they worshiped, but then this random God appears to Abram and has this striking conversation that, I, again, I think because we know Abram as a hero of faith and we're so used to hearing Yahweh described as the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all these kind of things, we, I think we miss sometimes how very strange this conversation is and how radical it is that Abram agrees to what God invites him into. So let's read the first five verses of Genesis chapter 12. Genesis tells us that the Lord, that's Yahweh. Remember, anytime you see Lord written in all caps, that's the divine name. So Yahweh had said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and I will make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt and all the families on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram departed as the Lord, as Yahweh instructed and Lot, now Lot is his nephew, okay, Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran and he took his wife, Sarai, his nephew Lot, and all his wealth, his livestock and all the people he had taken into his household at Haran, and he headed for the land of Canaan. Okay, so there's some, some stuff going on here that, again, I just think is, is pretty wild. Uh, Abram has no idea who Yahweh is, and yet when Yahweh comes to him and says, hey, I want you to leave everything that you know, everything that makes you feel safe and comfortable, uh, and follow me, 
Abram just does. And notice that while, the, while Genesis tells us that they're headed to Canaan, the promised land, uh, God didn't tell Abram that. He just said, follow me to the land that I will show you. So that's literally like, I don't know if any of you have ever had like a surprise date where your partner like blindfolded you and said, just follow me and trust that I'm, you know, going to take you somewhere fun. It's sort of like that, right? Except instead of a, your partner, it's like a rando that walks up to you on the street, right? Um, so again, just, just really staggering that Abram says yes. Because there's really nothing for him if he leaves. Right? He has his wealth, but he has no descendants. That's why he takes his nephew with him. And yet, this God says, if you follow me to, you know, wherever I decide to take you, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless all the peoples of the... I mean, these, these are staggering promises. They're promises that even if Abram, you know, already had a few kids and, and, and was building his own sort of little, uh, like, family... Uh, they would still be staggering promises, even more staggering that he's 75 childless and has already made a massive relocation once, right, from, from uh, uh, Ur to, uh, to Haran. And so the fact that he says yes boggles my mind. And I think the longer we stop and consider it and consider what was stacked against Abram if he left his family, if he left his home, uh, the more astounding it gets. And it's why Abram is considered such a pillar of faithfulness. Okay? I don't know how familiar you are with the rest of Abram's story, but he's not, we'll just say he's not like the best guy. <laughs> he makes some questionable choices. He makes some bad choices in the chapters ahead. Okay? Enough that, that it's easy for us to say, yeah, he's not perfect. Right? He's far from perfect. And yet, he's held up as a model of faith for the entire rest of Scripture because of this moment. When, when a strange God comes to him and says, take an unimaginable risk based solely on my promise to go with you. It's powerful. And as I think about what's ahead of us, I think this is the kind of faith we need. What we want is assurances. What we want are blueprints. What we want are diagrams. What we want are all of the things that make us feel safe and that make us feel comfortable. And yet, the biggest acts of faith that we see in Scripture are the people who had none of that and who said yes solely based on God's promise. So, so I want to pause here I want to invite Nathan and Guhay back up because, again, I think this is a moment and a choice that are worth meditating on. These are, for us, uh, I think, powerful, powerful opportunities and invitations from God to say yes based on faith, based on trust, not in our own abilities, uh, but in God's character. So I'm going to hand it back over to y'all. If you would like to stand with me again, I want to invite us to sing again and celebrate this God who is trustworthy and who is faithful. I think it's important for us to acknowledge how the deck was stacked against Abram. Uh, again, he was headed somewhere he didn't even know the destination. He was old, he was childless, and he was leaving behind everything he knew. And all of the all of the systems and the structures even, let alone the people, that made him feel secure, that made him feel safe. 
I think there's a similar sort of uh, anxiety when we look at what's ahead of us. I mean, we are trying to build out a model that's radically different from uh, what any of us have known as church. And we're working to do that on limited funds. Uh, oh, frankly, with, with a lot of folks who are kind of exhausted from the, the years that have brought us to this point and, and the ups and downs that we've faced, uh, you know, everything from staffing changes to the global pandemic that we endured, all of that. Uh, and, and, and beyond that, we are facing a culture that is increasingly uninterested in what we think of as church. So there's a lot stacked against this, and I think it's reasonable that we would be hesitant or anxious or afraid of what God is calling us to next. Uh, and I think it's important to name those things, to say, yeah, we feel that. Uh, there, there's no reason to hide from those feelings. Because, again, they're actually really normal and natural parts of, of big changes. Uh, in, uh, in the song, In Thunder Road, uh, the boss acknowledges this anxiety that we have and this desire that a lot of us have to stay with what's known. Uh, he, he tells Mary, you know, you can hide beneath your covers, you can study your pain, you can make crosses for your lovers and throw roses in the rain. You can spend your summers dreaming in vain for a savior to rise from these streets. But he knows that there's nothing there for Mary. And yet, still, like we all do, he, you know, she wants to kind of keep doing what she's been doing and hoping that if she just does it a little better or tries a little harder, that somehow things are going to get better. But the boss knows that Jesus is not going to swoop into this dusty beach town and save Mary while she's there, because that's not where Jesus is. He's out ahead doing something new, doing something different, and if she wants to be a part of it, she's going to have to leave. That's scary. That's difficult. And it requires us to leave. That's why he says, uh, all the salvation that I can offer is beneath this dirty hood. So climb on in, because heaven's waiting on down the track. He knows that if there's any hope for them, it's in doing something new, doing something different, getting in and going somewhere else, which is exactly what Abram had to do. If he had stayed in Haran with his family, well, there was nothing there for him because it was in Haran where he was childless. It was in Haran where, there were, where he had no hope of, a, of something different or of a better future. In fact, Abram's only hope was in a God who brings life out of death, right? A God who empties tombs and who brings life to barren wombs and who makes new out of dead and gone. That was Abram's only hope. That's why a theologian Walter Brueggemann calls this a gospel moment for Abram because his choice is to risk 
on the new thing that God is promising, on this new life that God is bringing out of old death. Uh, in Thunder Road, Springsteen says, so let's roll down the window and let the wind blow back our hair. The night's busting open and these two lanes can take us anywhere. We've got one last chance to make it real. We're riding out tonight to case the promised land. That's what I, I think one of the things I love about this song is how clearly the boss ties this story of him and Mary leaving this dusty beach town to this large quest that all of us are on to reach the promised land that God has called us to. And this recognition that he has that, that it's not found up there off in the sky somewhere, which, by the way, I heard someone said the rapture was happening this weekend again. I, I've curated my algorithm to the point that I miss these things most of the time now. But yeah, obviously we all missed it. So either they were wrong or we got some work to do. Um, probably they were just wrong, right? Uh, so anyway, like th this is that thing, right? That there's so often that we think, well, we just sort of wait here and twiddle our thumbs and then, you know, we'll be taken off somewhere else. And, and again, Springsteen says that's, that's not how salvation works, right? It's, it's, in, it's in making the hard choices and going after the God who promises to take us to new life. It's a, it's a powerful promise, And it's, it's the one that Abram said yes to without assurances, without guarantees, without even a named destination. All he had was the presence of a God who said, do you want to come? Follow me. And friends, that's the same invitation that's in front of us. Uh, I wish we had a clearer vision of what was next. I wish there were some other churches that were doing what we're doing so we had a little bit more of a roadmap, but uh, there, there aren't. And so what we're going to have to do together is offer that faith-filled yes and then figure it out, right? Get our hands dirty, metaphorically mostly, I think, right? But do the work together. Of, of figuring out what this model looks like and of going together into the unknown, following the God who uh, is not taken off guard by the way our culture is changing, who is not taken off guard by the fact that fewer and fewer people are interested in traditional forms of church. Uh, God, uh, God has been God for long enough to know that, that cultures change and uh, proclivities change, and what church looks like has changed again and again and again and again and again, uh, because every generation has to reimagine the good news for, uh, for the people around us, for our world. And that's, that's where we are. That's what we're being called to, just like Abram. God is calling us to a new promised land, and I believe that we can get there together. And I hope you believe that too, because that journey begins with those first but longest steps off of the front porch and into the front seat. That willingness to say, we're going to go. As we approach the communion table today, again, what I'm, what I'm struck by again and again as we, as we receive this meal together every week is that 
uh, Jesus sets this table for us, and Jesus invites us to this table. There's nowhere that we can go that Jesus has not already gone ahead of us to prepare a space for us. And by coming to this table together, we acknowledge that. That, that in everything we do, we are following after Jesus. And so as we, as we receive this meal today, we remember that God went ahead of Abram and invited him to follow. And Jesus goes ahead of us and invites us to follow. So in no way are we striking off into parts unknown to everyone. They're known to God. They're just not known to us. And so our choice to follow is grounded not in certainty of our destination, but in certainty of the one who is leading us in the faithfulness of the, of the God who went to the cross for us to bring us new life, the God who loves the world that is changing around us and invites us to follow him in loving that world. And so before we receive communion together, we're going to do a prayer of examine. Uh, I'm going to invite you to consider some questions with me, and then I'll pray for all of us together. And then as we uh, finish that, uh, we'll receive communion together. So in this spirit of looking towards the unknown, and of trusting that God is leading us. Here's the first question I want you to consider, and a spirit of prayer. What excites me about the changes that are coming to our church family? Now, on the other side of it, what, what fears and anxieties do I have about changes coming to our church family? Now, what is the next thing that God is calling me to as a part of this change? finally, what does it look like for me to take those next steps by faith? What does a faith-filled yes look like for me?
pray together. God, you have gathered us this morning on the cusp of big changes. And you have shown us the story of your servant Abram, who became a pillar of faithfulness, not because he is perfect, because we know he's far from that, but rather because he trusted you when that seemed to make little sense on paper. He trusted you to do the things you said you would do. And you have, over the centuries that have followed, uh, you have fulfilled your promise to bless all nations of the earth through him and through that act of a faith-filled yes. And so now we too approach your table offering our own faith-filled yeses. They're messy, they're filled with everything from hope to fear and anxiety and everything in between. We recognize that these first steps are often the hardest because they require us to commit to something that is unknown. But help us to see as we receive these elements this morning that we are committing uh, not to a plan, but to you and to your character. And trusting that you still have so much good you want to do in this world because you love this world. And just like you did with Abram, you are inviting us to be a part of it. As we receive these elements, we pray that they would be a spiritual food for us that we might receive them by faith and that you could send us into this world excited to see what's ahead. Thank you for preparing good work for us to do and now we commit ourselves to that work by approaching your table this morning and receiving these elements all in the name of your son, Jesus. The night Jesus was betrayed, this was the meal that he shared with his followers. During that meal, he broke bread and gave it to us and said, this is my body broken for you, take it and eat it. When the meal was finished, he gave us a cup of wine and he said, this is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Take it and drink it. And so now we too eat and drink. And as we do, we remember Jesus' death until he returns. Friends, as you're going today, I uh, have a couple of more uh, sort of like housekeeping, businessy sort of updates from the leadership team. Uh, first of all, I do want to thank all of you who are continuing to give. Uh, as we are looking at what it, uh, the, you know, sort of the practicals of selling the building and all of that, I want to let you know, you know, we did sell the piece of land over here uh, that we kept trying to do things with for, for ages, and uh, we, finally did, we did sell that. Uh, apparently, there's this weird, uh, I, it's not weird, I get it. It's done, done, done to protect uh, against bad behavior, but there's, a, there's an IRS law that you can't use funds that come from land sales, if you're a nonprofit, for salaries. Uh, so we can use it for, like, basically anything else, um, but, but not for salaries. So... Uh, yeah, so just a heads up on that. If you see, you know, financial updates and things like that, that's, that's part of what that is. Um, so we have, you know, lots of other things we can earmark that money for, but just not salaries. Uh, so, and then, uh, in, in speaking of that, uh, you know, we, giving always drops in the summers. That's something people are always aware of. And then I know that the student loans are off pause. So that has affected a number of folks in, in the congregation, but, um, our giving has been uh, lower than what we need to bring in. I hope uh, those of you who access the Beaker Mini or the emails have been seeing those financial updates. Uh, but I just wanted to remind you about that as a church, um, that we still do uh, rely on your giving to continue to be able to make this transition, uh, uh, probably now more than ever. And so uh, please don't forget us as you are apportioning out your, your, uh, your budgeting for the fall 
because again, we really, we really rely on your faithfulness in that area to be able to do a lot of the things that we're going to be doing um, moving forward in the pivot. So uh, again, and again, thank you to all of you who are continuing to be faithful in that area. Uh, now, as we're going, don't forget to pay attention to the uh, communication channels that we have, Facebook group, email, Discord, uh, for the opportunities to get involved in planning what our next steps are. We're going to be putting those out later this week. Uh, but for now, I'd like to dismiss you with a blessing, so if you would stand with me. Uh, Catalysts, we are embarking on a journey together, and I, it's one that I hope you are excited to take with us. Uh, obviously, uh, you can be excited and also a little anxious uh, at the same time. That's fine. I feel that. I hope you feel that too. Um, but as we go, let us go knowing that we are following one who has gone ahead of us, who has prepared good work for us, and who asks us to trust not in our own abilities and certainties, but in the character of the one who calls us. Uh, would you go in the grace and peace of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? And we will see you next week.